0: Well, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 starting with verse 31. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 through 43. As we continue our series in the book of Acts, the title of my message this morning is Miracles and Multiplication. Miracles and Multiplication from Acts chapter 9. Last week we heard of one such miracle the spectacular conversion of the story of Paul. And we're going to hear two more miracles this morning. So we're going to start where we left off last week from chapter 9 of Acts. I'm going to start with 31 as a segue into our passage this morning. So we read from Acts 9.31. Please follow along. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church multiplied. How did the church multiply? What was the cause of such growth? Well, we see here the ministry of Christ through the Holy Spirit. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. And to illustrate this ministry, by way of two miraculous healings. Let's now read verses 32 through 43. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Wow. Church, a paralytic healed on the spot. A man whose one day was just like the previous. For eight years, his legs immobilized, perhaps all of his limbs immobilized. His muscles atrophied. And one day, he is healed immediately, and he rises and walks. A woman named Dorcas or Tabitha, she just hadn't been dead for a few minutes Hadn't just flatlined on the heart monitor. She wasn't just momentarily unconscious. No, she had died. She had been washed, presumably anointed, prepared for burial. And she arises a resurrection from the dead. Church, what do we do with these stories? Do you believe them? Well, if you believe the word is the inerrant, inspired word of God? Yes, you do. But even if we do, are we to pray for similar stories, for similar miracles today? Or do we just relegate them to, well, the distant past? Huh, that's what happened 2,000 years ago. Oh, that's just the book of Acts. Times have changed. You know, we're a little more sophisticated today. What do we do? Do we relegate it to the past? Or do we relegate such miracles to faraway lands? Last well, stuff, maybe it happens, but you know what happens to faraway lands in Africa among the tribes in Papua New Guinea? It doesn't happen here. Or do we just merely push them all into the faraway future when Christ returns and restores all things? What do we do? These are the questions that I ask when I read this text And these are the questions that we will attempt to answer this morning. But if you haven't been with us in our sermon series in Acts, there's a few things you need to know about this book. It may be called, as you see in your Bible, The Acts of the Apostles. But I want to tell you, behind the Acts of the Apostles lie the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. And nowhere is this made more clear than Acts chapter 9. So as we learn in the introduction to this wonderful book, Jesus' ministry did not stop when he ascended to heaven. He is still doing. Oh yes, he is still teaching. He is still healing. And he is still saving today. And this is exactly what we see in our two miraculous stories preserved by the author of Luke here in Acts 9. Jesus was gone from sight. He was in heaven, but his power and might were not out of sight. Let me say it again. Jesus is now gone out of sight, but his power and might is not out of sight. So here's my question, and really here's my burden for you this morning. Is God's power, is God's might out of your sight this morning? in the life that you live here in Miami Lakes, in South Florida, in your everyday life? Does God seem rather impotent to you right now? I mean, in one sense, you've been around. You know that Christ is reigning and ruling. But frankly, if you're honest, you really don't expect great things from God. You know what else? You don't really attempt great things for God either the power which raised Christ from the dead seems in your life barely discernible. His power blunted and your vision of him clouded. If that is so, I have been there. I have found myself even recently creeping back there, doubting God's power, his power to heal. You know what else? Doubting his power to save, or at least his willingness to. I have found myself many times of late grinding out the Christian life rather than gazing upward and outward at God. In the words of John Piper, to a quote from Bentley and Jason's blog, quote, for many, Christianity has become the grinding out Of general doctrinal laws from collections of biblical facts. But childlike wonder and awe have died. The scenery and the music of the majesty of God have dried like a forgotten peach at the back of the refrigerator. Got that imagery? like a forgotten peach at the back of the refrigerator. A dried, frizzled, mealy peach with no scent and certainly not palatable. Friends, I believe there's something that God wants you to see today, and it's not a frizzled peach. Oh, it's the power and wonder of God (laughs) It's the power which healed a paralytic named Ananias and raised a woman named Dorcas from the dead. It's the resurrection power of Christ working in you and around you. It's the present reality and future hope for all who believe. With that in mind, let's pray now. Let's not pray as just a mere formality. It's what we do before we get into the main part of the service. No, there's something we need. There's something that I need this morning. It's to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. For if God does not enlighten the eyes of our hearts, these words will bounce back unaffected by them. Oh, may it not be. May God, may the risen Christ do his work this morning. With that in mind, I want to pray. According to Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul's prayer found there. Let's pray. O oh Lord, I pray this morning that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your great might that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. O Lord, enlighten our hearts for they have eyes this morning. Open them, as only you can do, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I was talking there, I just saw one other couple I had to say hello to. I was a miss. I got to do it. Rolando and Lisa, back from the Dominican Republic, welcome, guys. Rolando is here, went to our Sargates Pastors College serving our friends and he is a dear friend, so is Lisa. So guys, thank you. I'm sorry I missed you earlier. I just want to, uh, didn't want to tempt you to stumble there. Oh, oh, great. Well, I have two points this morning derived from the text. And they're simple. It's this. The power of the risen Christ, number one, is the power to heal. And number two, the power to save. The power of the risen Christ, the power to heal and the power to save. Let's look at point number one, the power to heal. Well, as mentioned at the beginning, Christ has ascended to heaven, but his ministry continues, as we see here in the book of Acts, and that includes his healing ministry. You see, whereas Christ's ministry was once personal and public here on earth, we now see in this very book, the book of Acts, that it is exercised through the Holy Spirit and by his followers. In particular, in our case today, the Apostle Peter. And for good reason, as we'll see in a moment. Yes, Christ is still ruling. He is still reigning by his Holy Spirit through his disciples. As we read in verse 32, Peter now is on the move. He's obviously been busy since he last showed up in Acts 8, where we found him laying his hands on the Samaritans, that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Well, in our text today... Peter is on a northwest trade route from Jerusalem, about 30 miles away, northwest to the town of Lydda. And then from there, he's on his way further northwest to Joppa and to Sharon, to the plains along the Mediterranean coast. He's a busy man. Perhaps he's visiting believers who were there in these towns who had left after the persecution that took place in Jerusalem. You recall the martyrdom of Stephen? After that point, the disciples, excuse me, the believers scattered. Maybe he was following them up in these towns. Maybe he was doing a little follow-up ministry from the conversion from Philip and his ministry, which we read about earlier. But whatever the case, along his travels, he encounters a man named Aeneas in the town of Lydda, who is a paralytic. After Aeneas' Miraculous healing, he is then summoned to the town of Joppa, where he is used to raise a saint named Dorcas, or Tabitha. Well, these stories we just read are are certainly spectacular, but they're also, if you notice, rather brief. What's going on here? Why? I I think the author Luke wants these stories to key us off to something. I believe these stories that are briefly mentioned are to be reminiscent of something. Reminiscent of what? Reminiscent of Christ when he walked this earth. Does the healing of a paralytic man does that sound familiar to you? Does the raising of a woman from the dead sound familiar to you? Well, maybe it does, because we do find these stories in the Gospels. We find them in Luke, his volume one companion to Acts. He wrote Luke and Acts. Well, in Luke 5, we read the fascinating story. Maybe you remember it, where Christ is preaching in a house. And while he's preaching, some guys up above, they're doing a little remodeling job on the roof of the house. And four guys, what do they do? They lower down a paralytic on a bed. What a scene. And what does Christ say? He says these words to the paralytic right there in the living room. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And then in Peter's visit to Lydda, we found in Acts 9.34, we read these words. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Mere coincidence? I don't think so. How about the dramatic resurrection story we find in Luke 8? Jesus travels to the home of a synagogue ruler. He's a big deal, Jairus. We well, he has a daughter, who's sick. By the time Christ gets to Jairus' house, she is dead. Her name is Talitha. Jesus enters the room, clears out everyone, except family, mother and father, and Peter, as well as James and John. And we read these words. I'll be reading from the account of Mark 5, 41. Taking her by the hand, that's Jesus, he said to her, Talitha, Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Now let's fast forward to the city of Joppa, and a woman named not Talitha, but Tabitha, and we read in Acts nine forty and forty one. But Peter put them all outside, and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. As a number of commentators have pointed out, if Peter spoke Aramaic on this occasion, only a single letter would have been different in their healing pronouncements. It's the difference between Tabitha, arise, and Talitha, arise. You see, more than just being cool stories or coincidence, I believe that Luke is communicating a key point here. That Peter, the apostle, is walking in Christ's footsteps. These footsteps had led him to Samaria. And now we're leading him to Joppa, where he received the call to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, as we're going to learn next week in Acts 10. Peter was doing all this with Christ's authority, with Christ's authority, and resurrection power. What Peter once observed, he now is doing, performing signs and wonders like Jesus, as well as the prophets before him. Just as Jesus was attested to by God as we read in Acts 2.22, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him, so is Peter now being attested to by God. Do you see it? Oh, it's beautiful. But please make no mistake about it. Jesus is behind Peter. Jesus is in front of Peter. Jesus is in command of all that Peter is doing and taking the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, the half-Jews, and to the Gentiles. Furthermore, it's not Peter doing the healing. You notice that? It's Jesus. Oh, yes. Jesus may be gone from sight, but his power and might are not out of sight. Christ healing and resurrection power is on full display, not Peter's. Look again at verse 34, of chapter 9. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. That's amazing as it is clear. Jesus wasn't a mere example. He wasn't a mere inspiration for Peter's ministry. No, he was the very power. Aeneas was bedridden, paralyzed for eight years. Just enough details, isn't it? Kind of make you wonder. Was it illness or was it perhaps a sudden accident that had occurred? He who once knew how to walk, was confined to a bed, left only to his fading memories of what it once was like to walk, to feed himself, to bathe himself, to clothe himself. Yet Christ had compassion on this man. Heaven saw, and Christ acted. But, oh, he's not done yet. Next, Peter and we, the readers, are taken to Joppa, where we meet Dorcas. She's a remarkable woman, described as full of good works and acts of charity. I like the New American Standard version of verse 36. We read, this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Wouldn't you love to have that said of yourself? I believe we have some Tabithas here with us. She was beloved, and so she was by Christ as well. Oh, yes, she was. Let's just step back for a second and put herself in this scene. You understand what's happening here, don't you, in Joppa? This is like an all-night viewing or vigil at our funeral home in Hialeah, okay? A number of you have been there. Perhaps you've had loved ones who have passed, and that's why you were there. Peter enters the home, and there is mourning. The place is packed. I imagine it was hot and stuffy, like it is in here this morning. It's not just packed with family. It's packed with friends, those whom Tabitha's life had greatly impacted especially widows. It is clear that she is loved by many, and the people are there, and they're dressed up. Some may be in suits, some may be in black dresses, so to speak. But the women, what they're wearing isn't just any black dress. No, they're wearing the very garments that Dorcas had made them, and they're undone. There's no joking and laughter going on in this funeral home. There's weeping. There's tears. And Peter enters. He enters the funeral home, and he sends everyone to the lobby or out into the parking lot. And he goes into this room where Tabitha lie. And what does he do? He kneels down, and he prays. What did Peter pray? Oh, I can imagine he had to be emotional himself. Perhaps he was pleading for Jesus Christ to heal him. Maybe he was also praying and asking, Lord, is this your will that Tabitha be healed? And then he rises and he looks at Tabitha in the face, in the eyes, and says, Tabitha, arise. At that moment, I don't believe Tabitha just heard the words of Peter. I believe that she also heard the words of the risen living Christ. The words of Jesus, who on that Easter morning was in the garden, who saw Mary Magdalene, who did not recognize Jesus, thought he was a gardener. And Jesus looked at her and said the words, Mary. And at that moment, Mary's eyes were open. She saw the living Christ, the same Jesus who looked into the eyes of the little girl, Talitha, and said, Talitha, arise. It's Jesus working through Peter. It's the resurrection power of Christ. When Peter says, arise, it's the very same word used to speak of Christ's resurrection from the dead, both in this account and when Aeneas is raised as a paralytic. Arise in the resurrection power of Christ. Do you see it? The risen Lord Jesus is now raising Tabitha from the dead. But perhaps you read this and say, that's great, but that happened 2,000 years ago. People don't rise from the dead anymore. And miraculous healings only happen on Christian cable networks and television. I understand I understand. That you may be skeptical, but don't let that shrivel your peach. Okay, the peach in the refrigerator. Remember that? Yeah. Don't let it shrivel your peach. Oh, after Pentecost, the early church prayed both for boldness to preach the gospel and for God to grant miracles to accompany its preaching. They cried out to God, as we learn in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. They prayed this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Huh. Church, should we pray anything less? today for the glory of God. I don't know who the disciples were who summoned Peter to come to Joppa where Tabitha lie. But you know what? I want to be more like them. One commentator suggested that Peter may have been summoned to Joppa to pay his respects to such an esteemed saint as Tabitha. Really? Was that why Peter came to Joppa? to give a eulogy, I believe that too easily dismisses the true intent and prayer of the disciples. It's clear that Tabitha had already been washed. She'd already been, by custom, prepared for burial. But she wasn't buried. She was laid in an upper room for viewing. Why? Because I believe that they believed that Christ could raise her from the dead. They were seeking a miraculous intervention of God for the one they so dearly loved. But you say, yes. But they didn't pray. Well, they may have, but they were summoning Peter. And Peter's passed away. As a matter of fact, all the apostles have passed away. And you say, so who's going to do all the healing? I say, the same person. Jesus. Jesus. Furthermore, if I'm reading my Bible correctly, Apostles never had a monopoly on miracles. No, God has the monopoly on miracles. And he appoints miracles and gifts of healings as he chooses. Look at Stephen. Look at Philip, who we've already studied. Who are not apostles in the book of Acts. Miracles are not the exclusive domain or sign of apostles or prophets or teachers or pastors like Al and myself. Now, we read in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty eight these words, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. What's the point? It's that God was appointed. Apostles, prophets, and teachers has also appointed miracles and gifts of healing distinguished from apostles, prophets, and teachers. My God still be pleased and glorified to do miracles today using me, using you, using our prayers? Oh, I believe so. Maybe you've dismissed the fact that God could heal Or not even that he could heal, but that he would heal miraculously today. But it's not so much out of biblical persuasion or conviction, but simply out of lack of observed experience. You've simply never seen it. And frankly, you deem all accounts that you have heard as a little spurious, as false. Or maybe just afraid to ask and to be disappointed again. Perhaps you think it's rather a little unsophisticated to ask for any type of radical, immediate healing. I mean, especially in the days of doctors. Certainly ludicrous or naive to ask that God would raise someone from the dead. You know what? If that's you, maybe that's just what you need to do is to pray for such healings and miracles I'm not saying that God will answer your prayer in the affirmative. I'm not saying that you can just go and claim it in the name of Christ and every person will be healed or raised. This is what I'm getting at. Have you stopped praying? Have you stopped asking? Have you stopped believing? Or perhaps you never have. I think the words of Wayne Grudem are helpful here. He says this, And we should certainly not be embarrassed to talk about miracles if they occur or think that a non-miraculous answer to prayer is better. Miracles are God's work, and he works them to bring glory to himself and to strengthen our faith. When we encounter serious needs in people's lives today, it is right for us to seek God for an answer. And where miraculous intervention seems to be needed, than to ask God if he would be pleased to work in that way. This would seem to be especially appropriate when our motivation is Christ-like compassion for those in need and a burning desire to see Christ's kingdom advance and his name glorified. A church, don't stop praying whatever that insurmountable obstacle is in your life. May God, may the risen Christ want to bring himself glory by answering, perhaps even removing that very obstacle. Nothing, nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing, oh friends. See, I believe these stories here are not merely History. They're not just here only to authenticate Peter's role as an apostle back then. They do that. But these stories are also here to attest to the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is here today in his kingdom come, in our lives and in our world now. They're here to give us hope, to encourage us. Not just the hope of physical healing but the hope of complete salvation. Let me explain. You see, Christ's power to heal in this life is only the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. I think you know and understand that Aeneas, oh, he was healed, but his limbs gave out once again. I think you understand that Tabitha, Her heart did fail her, eventually, once again. And you bet there was mourning and crying and weeping once again. But it wasn't a mourning and it wasn't a weeping without hope. These miraculous healings, these signs and wonders performed by Christ through Peter, the tip of the iceberg, were pointing to an even greater unseen reality. And it's this, that Christ has the power to forgive sins and to restore all things, to make all things new, including Aeneas, including Dorcas, including you and me, whoever has placed their saving faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection power is not only the power to heal, but the power to save And this power to save conversion is the greatest sign and wonder of all. Oh, Christ heals. Point number one, the power to heal. Point number two, and it's the power to save. Look what happened when Aeneas was healed and arose. We read these truly remarkable words. Verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned To the Lord. Who did they see? They saw Aeneas. Presumably, they didn't see him all at the moment of healing. No, they saw Aeneas walking. Yes, the former paralytic walking around town, maybe even dancing, maybe even at the market buying peaches. And they saw this risen man. They saw the resurrection power. Of Christ. Just imagine what it had been like. His bystanders were there in that town of Letta. Hey, Jaime, is is that Aeneas? Nah, nah, I couldn't. It's Aeneas. That's Aeneas. What happened? He's walking. Well, I, I heard that. Well, he says that Jesus Christ healed him, that Jesus is alive. Jesus? You mean that man that claimed to be the son of God who was crucified in Jerusalem several years back? Yeah, that one. They say he's alive and that he healed him and that he is all who he claimed to be. At that point, their faces Go ash and white. God is among us. God is here in the power of Jesus. And they are saved. Oh. And they are saved. How many were saved? It says, all. Perhaps that's hyperbole, maybe it's exaggeration, generalization, or maybe it isn't. Perhaps what we have here is what, as described by missiologists, those who study missions, described as a people movement—a whole people, a whole town converting to Christ. Can you imagine the house churches in Lydda that night and the following days? You better believe some worship was happening. These houses were rocking. Aeneas had been healed. Christ is reigning and ruling, and he's alive. He's come to heal and, yes, save. And the whole town comes to believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus may be in heaven. He may be gone from sight, but his power and might are not out of sight. He's healing. Yes, he's saving. For that is what Christ incarnate came to do. Remember the story of the paralytic that I mentioned earlier in Luke 5. What did Christ first say to the paralytic when he he was lowered down through the roof? What were Christ's first recorded words when he saw the paralytic? They were not, be healed. They were not, rise, take up your mat, or bed and walk. No, what Christ said at that moment was, was even far better and far lasting. It was the greatest miracle of all. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Let's pick up that narrative in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 7. Christ's words. Why does this man speak like that? They're asking after seeing this healed paralytic and hearing this pronouncement carrying on. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned, that's questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, pick up your bed, and go home. You see, Jesus' healing of the paralytic attested to a greater reality, that Christ is Lord, that he is God, and only he can forgive sins. It's what the residents of Lydda came to believe, when they saw the healing power of Christ in Aeneas. It's what the residents of Joppa came to believe when they heard the undeniable news of Tabitha, who had been raised from the dead. For we read in Acts 9, verse 42, and it, referring to Tabitha's miraculous resurrection, became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Barring the words of acts nine thirty one which we began with this morning, the church multiplied miracles and multiplication, and no doubt this, these miraculous healings which led to the church 's multiplication were accompanied by the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, to which they attested, although we don 't have record of peter 's teaching in these towns. We know that the gospel was proclaimed to the residents by their very response. They believed. They put their saving faith in the Lord. Church, the only proper response to any such miracles as we've read today is to turn from our sins and to embrace the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, When Peter was used to heal the lame man back in Acts 3, he didn't just pronounce healing, salute the crowd, and go home. No, he did something else. And these are his words found in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Peter said this after healing the lame man. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, Long ago. Did you catch Peter's first words? Healing, and then he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Repent, turn from your sin and unbelieving heart, and receive Christ. Who else can forgive? Who else can blot out sin? Who else can can heal you from the inside out? Who else can take your dried-up peach in the back of the refrigerator heart and make it alive to Christ? Who can take that nearly extinguished wick of your life and make it burn with passion that you may live for someone and something greater than just yourself? Only Jesus, only Jesus who lived the perfect life that we could not live, who died the death that we deserved on the cross and in our place. Why? That we may be forgiven, sins blotted out, that we may be free from the penalty of sin, from the pollution of sin, and yes, from the power of sin, that we would be made alive. Jesus, who died and rose again and ascended to heaven, He's alive today, and he wants to make you alive. If you are not a Christian, if you are not a believer here this morning, oh, turn to Jesus, that you may know his presence and power in your life, that you may know times refreshing, oh, that you would know it for the very first time. And if you are a believer this morning, which most of you are, my prayer is that you would not doubt God's goodness, His power, nor His presence. That you would believe, perhaps believe once again, that God can move mountains. Oh, you would believe. You see, in Christ, sickness, disease, illness, malady is not the end of the story. And death is not the final word. Every healing, every miracle reminds us of that. There is a day. Oh, there's a day coming that day in the words of Peter in Acts 3.21, when Christ will come restoring all things, when he will make all things new. On that day, every person is placed their saving trust in Jesus Christ, we raised from the dead and completely healed, given glorified bodies, and we will dwell with him forevermore. On that day, there will be no more Aeneases. There will be no more paralytics. There will be no more accidents. There will be no more disease. There will be no more pain. There will be no more Tabithas in the upper room. There will be no more weeping. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more sin. And there will be no more death. Is that your hope today, Christian? May it be. Let us be a church that keeps these truths before us. And let us be a church that prays audacious prayers for healings. Yes, and for salvations. Yes, for miracles and for multiplication. That we may say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done right here on earth. Paul Vista, as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on up. You can remain as quiet as possible. I want to give you some instruction here as we conclude, because we're not quite done yet. We have one more song to sing. But more than that, this is what I believe we are to do. We're going to respond now to the message we just heard, to the truths we just heard. We're going to sing together, proclaiming that Jesus is alive and that he lives, and we too in Christ. As we conclude, I want to have a time to pray for folks, particularly for healing, particularly for those who are suffering long-standing chronic illnesses, or pain. God's compassionate, and it'd be my privilege to pray for you. My God want to touch you this morning, to give you a gift of healing, to glorify himself, to give us a foretaste of the kingdom to come when all things will be made new. I don't know but I know it does say in the scripture to pray. I do know it says, come to the elders that can pray for you. Owls out of town, I'm here. I'm sorry, it's what you got. But I would love to pray for you this morning, to anoint you with oil. So please wait, we're going to sing together. And at the conclusion, I'll dismiss you quietly. And for those who come forth, would love to pray for you. With that in mind, let us sing together first, all right?